Welcome back, Hemingway Brainiacs, to the Button Brooks Thomas Mann Chapter 8 podcast episode. There was a disagreement of some sort before the tension was broken by the poem. Swim said the mama fish. He said, I found the poem bawdy, dealing with sexual matters in a comical way, humorously indecent. Yeah, it was um, rather on the nose in that regard. A sword and his sheath. Lol, says Swimset, Swimset the Mumfishy. Acoustic Eel says, Music time. The harmonium is a reed organ played using a keyboard and a pair of pedals to pump the air. Think of an accordion, but instead of spreading and contracting the instrument with your hands, you, it's a sit-down organ that you pump with your feet like a spinning wheel. The harmonium was popular in Western music from the mid to late 1800s to early 1900s. Since this is set in 1835, it seems to me that the Buttonbrook got their hands on one before it became really popular, trying to have the latest style. This could be a representation of their new money and coming decadence. Here's a harmonium that's in the Buttonbrook's house today from Swimset the Mama Fishy's link the other day. You can't see the pedals though, not as ornate as these instruments sometimes were. We uh, used to have a harmonium at... Um, my stepmom had one, and I really disliked it because it just—they just don't sound good. You know, they kind of sound like a, a bit like a bad church organ, but it looks like a piano. So you want to sit down and just play it like a piano, but if you play a normal piano song on it, it just sounds—well, yeah, it doesn't sound like a piano. It sounds like an organ. Uh, so it's just—it's like disappointing every time you play it because it just doesn't do what you wished that it would do uh, but yeah thanks for that Acoustic Eels your music knowledge uh, is always welcome here Ubiquiton says that description of their route to the billiards room lost me how big is this house I could use a floor plan the article about customs union Vols, uh, Zolverian is here, okay, so that was a customs union. Created a free trade area throughout much of Germany and is often seen as an important step in Germans Germany German reunification. Um cool. This is kind of a floor plan. Swim said the Mama Fishy again coming through with all the the goods ask and you shall receive. Uh, let's load it up. So it's a large house. It's three, la four large stories, um, potentially. Oh, and a basement story. And you can see maybe a uh, kind of a loft story at the top. The top floor has a library, which also has stairs in it to like a, an upper level of the library. So if you include that, it's one, two, three, four, five, six stories high, this house. Um, ah, it's really cool, actually. Although this is very bad podcasting for me to just look at a picture. It's difficult to describe this. It's kind of a cross section of the house, what I'm looking at, which shows that um, how would you describe that? It's like a small building, you know. 
it's not the mansions like we're used to in sort of War and Peace, which were more sprawled out horizontally. This kind of is more vertical, and it almost looks like two townhouses next to each other, but they're conjoined and taller than a townhouse. Very cool. Um, that was a poor explanation, but there you go. It's the best I can do. Um, if you look up uh, Buddenbrook's house, yeah, there's a website called euphoriaart.de. Um, you should be able to find the floor plan if you want to have a look at what I'm looking at. Um, Starryboard says the woods translation is pretty readable. Thank you, Starryboards. Um, obviously answering my ruminations on whether I should continue reading the Low Porter translation or switch to Woods. The Low Porter one is readable. It's quite clear. You know, there's no complicated language. It's just the syntax of the sentences is a little, uh, hesitant to say, a little amateurish. And the sentence, the sentences tie themselves in knots and after you read a few of those sentences, they form a paragraph that just sort of hasn't sunken in just by virtue of the fact that the sentences are poorly structured. There's no big words or difficult language in those sentences. It's just the structure of themselves doesn't lend itself to someone with a poor attention span like myself. Um, so I'm going to try to get my hands on the Woods translation and swap to that as soon as I can get a copy of it. But for now, we'll continue. Chapter 9 of the Low Porter Translation goes like this. It was rather late, nearly 11, when the party began to break up. They had reassembled in the landscape room, and they all made their adieu at the same time. The Frau Consul, as soon as her hand had been kissed in farewell, went upstairs to see how Christian was doing. To Mamsel Jungmann was left the supervision of the maids as they set things to rights and put away the silver. Madame Antoinette retired to the entresol, but the console accompanied his guests downstairs, across the entry and outside the house. A high wind was driving the rain, slantwise, through the street as the old Krogers wrapped in heavy fur mantles slipped as fast as they could into their carriage. It had been waiting for hours before the door. The street, you see what I mean? <laughs> I keep kind of hesitating mid-sentence because the structure of them is poor. Um, it, referring I guess to the carriage in the previous sentence. But um, a high wind was driving the rain slantwise through the streets as the old Krogers, wrapped in heavy fur mantles, slipped as fast as they could into their carriage. It had been waiting for hours before the door. The street was lighted by the flickering yellow rays from oil lamps hanging on posts before the houses or suspended on heavy chains across the streets. The projecting fronts of some of the houses jutted out into the roadway. Others had porticos or raised benches added on. The street ran steeply down to the river trave. It was badly paved and sodden. Grass sprang up between the cracks. The church of St. Mary's was entirely shrouded in rain and darkness. I think there's the sentences kind of start with descriptions and words that you don't know what they're referring to yet. Like this one, the projecting fronts of some of the houses. So once, like the first few words, the projecting fronts of some of the 
okay, I'm meant to be imagining something projecting forward at the front, but I'm one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight words into the sentence before I know we're talking about houses. So it's like, I don't know what to imagine yet. And then I do, and I have to kind of go back and reimagine the fronts of them jutting out. But then the rest of the sentence says jutted out into the roadway. So the projecting fronts of the houses, of some of the houses, jutted out into the roadway. The start and end of that sentence is tautological because they're projecting fronts and they're jutting out into the roadway. It's describing the same thing. But the sentence structure is poor because I have to get halfway through the sentence to know what I'm imagining and then it just reiterates that all in one sentence. Uh, And so I keep kind of pausing mid-sentence because I realize I don't know what I'm reading. And then I read forward and go, oh, okay. Anyway, mercy, said Libritch Kroger, shaking the console's hand as he stood by the carriage door. Mercy, Jean, it was too charming. The door slammed and the carriage drove off. Pastor Wanderlich and Broker Gratchens expressed their thanks and went their way. Her coppin, in a mantle with a five-fold cape and a broad grey hat, took his plump wife on his arm and said in his graph bass, Good night, Buttonbrook. Go in, go in, don't catch a cold. Best thanks for everything. Don't know when I've fed so well. So you like my red wine at four marks? Well, good night again. The Coppins went in the same direction as the Krogers, down towards the river. Senator Langholz, Dr. Grabau and Nagine Jacques Hofstede turned the other way. Consul Buddenbrook stood with his hands in his trouser pockets and listened to their footsteps as they died away down the empty, damp, dimly lighted street. He shivered a little in his light clothes as he stood there a few paces from his own house and turned to look up at its grey gabled facade. His eyes lingered upon the motto carved in the stone over the entrance in antique lettering Dominus Providebit, the Lord will will provide. He bowed his head a little and went in, bolting the door carefully behind him. Then he locked the vestibule door and walked slowly across the echoing floor of the great entry. The cook was coming down the stairs with a tray of glasses in her hand and he asked her, Where is the master, Trina? In the dining room, her console, said she, and her face went as red as her arms, for she came from the country and was very bashful. As he passed through the dark hall, he felt in his pocket for the letter. Then he went quickly into the dining room, where a few small candle ends in one of the candelabra cast a dim light over the empty table. The sour smell of the onion sauce still hung on the air. Over by the window, Johann Buddenbrook was pacing comfortably up and down, with his hands behind his back. Alright, there we go. Another chapter for you. It looks like father and son are about to have a meaningful conversation, but I reckon between now and then we should do a little recap of the party. What were the events of the party? I know it's kind of not quite finished yet because this is the aftermath of it, but still, timely. Let's do that. Alright, thanks for listening. I'll see you tomorrow.